And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Fancast, a little different start this time, Drancer, though. Let's begin with a shout to Gino. I think people know by now that uh, Gino Ojic uh, battling health again, the heart condition that almost took him from us all uh, five or six years ago, has returned over the weekend. He put out a statement through the Canucks alumni, says that the doctors caught it early enough this time and seems to think that uh, everything's trending in the right direction. So that's great news. And I don't know about you, but for me, one of the highlights of the COVID break was having Gino right here on the van cast yeah and you know uh texted with him a little bit this weekend just to, once i heard the news uh just to send him my well wishes and and let him know that uh you know <laughs> like all canucks fans uh and all everyone in the hockey community in in vancouver uh you know i'm hoping he delivers a round two knockout over the disease and um, so yeah, sounds like they got it early. Uh, seems like the prognosis is good so far, but um, you know, heartbreaking to hear. And, and we wish all the best to Gino. You know, hearing him sound so good on the podcast, seeing him skate out onto the ice wearing that flying skate jersey uh, during the Canucks season opener, like quietly, that was one of the best moments of the 50th anniversary. I know there were a, m- sort of more pyrotechnics around Sedin Week. Um, you know, obviously the Orland Kurtenbach presentation of the Captain C to Bo Horvat, fantastic extemporaneous speeches from Burroughs and uh, Bieksa, of course. But the sight of Gino back on skates on that Vancouver ice and the Gino's, Gino's raising down. I mean, uh, raining down, excuse me. It's Vancouver. It always <laughs> rains down. Um, you know, for me, I think, and for Canucks fans of a certain vintage, really anyone in their 30s, uh, you know, that was as good as it got. And so awful to hear the news, but pulling for Gino and, and so far anyway, 
uh, so far so good. Hopefully it stays that way. There's no tougher guy out there fighting this fight. So uh, thoughts are with you, Gino, and, and not just from us on this podcast, but from everyone in this city. And if people didn't have a chance to hear Gino with us on the podcast, I think it was May, uh, his story about <laughs> trying to track down Pavel in Moscow and showing up at the KGB door, uh, just an absolute classic, probably the best story yeah. that anybody has told uh, here on the VanCast. <laughs> so it's it worth a, a re-listen. Uh, Gino just traipsing through the Moscow streets in the dead of night. Uh, just some really, really good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, what an absolute beauty. And, you know, it's interesting, too, to me, because this is not an enforcer town, right? Like, this is not an enforcer town, period. Um, you know, I, I, this city loves its backup goalies. It loves its power forwards, even its power forwards who are only power forwards um, as a concept as opposed to in fact. And this city loves its skilled players. But other than Gino, I don't know that you'd say there's been, like, a classic enforcer who really connected with the market the way that you know, other markets have or certainly had on a more regular basis, you know, over the last 10, 15 years. Gino is a singular entity in the history of the Vancouver Canucks, roundly beloved. There is a unique bond between player and fan base um, when, where Gino is concerned. And uh, I mean, just just terrible news. Our heart goes out to him and, and his family. And uh, hopefully he beats this as he's beaten so many t- tough men on skates over the years. We debated over the weekend whether to record the first pod this week on Monday or Tuesday, and we thought, eh, let's give it a day and we'll go Tuesday morning. And I'm glad we did because the Canucks took care of two pieces of business on Monday, and Mm -hmm. that gives us lots to jump into. You had reported over the weekend that uh, the Canucks and Jace Howerluck's camps were getting closer, and so not a surprise. He had been linked to the Canucks for the better part of a week, and in reality, uh, as he tells it, all the way back to that 2014 draft. But the Canucks get Howerluck done on a two-way deal, uh, but the bigger piece of their puzzle in the here and now Adam Gadet with a one-year contract 950 grand we're going to have a chance after we record this to hear from him on a team conducted zoom so we'll uh, get his thoughts on the contract but uh, you know it, it's a, a friendly deal there's value to be had there but this is your baby dancer I mean this was another 10 to C are you surprised that it resulted in only a one-year contract for Adam Gadet? Well, I'm not because of Vancouver's overall, you know, balance sheet, right? The the books dictated that a one-year deal was the most likely settlement. I think the only thing that surprised me was the timing. I wondered if the Canucks would drag this out a little bit just to see if they could carve out the type of space that would allow them to do something like, you know, three years times 1.3 or 1.2 million. And honestly, maybe they went down that road and had exploratory talks, and the the number was a little too high for their blood. I mean, maybe that's what happened here. I don't know that. I'll probably do some digging into it today. But the, um, you know, the overall logic of this is there's an opportunity here, especially with a player like Godet, who to this point in his NHL career, while he had a tremendous scoring season as a sophomore. Um, what was more important to me was that he improved his two-way game from being, you know, sub-NHL level to the point that, you know, our colleague Dom LeCision's goal save versus average model projected him as one of the worst defensive skaters in the league as a rookie. And this past year had like a, a true fourth liner type impact, like a credible NHL defensive impact. To make that kind of jump between your age 22 and 23 season 
suggests, especially when it's paired with how hard God at works <laughs> every shift, uh, that, that there might be more to give. Like there might be more upside here. Um, maybe even the upside to be a long-term fixture as Vancouver's third line center behind Bo Horvat and Elias Pettersson. And, you know, if that track continues and he continues to score, which I'm pretty confident he will, the potential of having that player at the age of 25, 26, locked up at like 1.3 million, like that becomes kind of like that Bonino contract that the Canucks traded to Pittsburgh and that the Penguins won back-to-back cups with. Like that's the type of bet that can keep you or, or can put you over the edge uh, as your young players sort of hit their true core years two, two, three years from now or two years from now in, in Pedersen's case and probably three for Hughes. So, you know, I, I liked the concept and the idea of using the 10.2C status to maybe get uh, a medium-term deal done with Gaudet. Uh, ultimately, the Canucks decided to, you know, take the take the one-year cost certainty, the show-me deal. There's definitely benefits in that in terms of motivation. But I was I was just a little surprised by the timing of it overall. I, I wondered if they'd wait and see what else shook loose in terms of clearing out cap space, etc., before uh, putting pen to paper on that one. Yeah, I just thought if they were able to get a little bit of term, it gave them some certainty, some cost certainty heading into next offseason, whenever that is, because, I mean, Gaudet, on a one-year deal, if he's still around, uh, he'll be at the trough, as will Demko and, of course, the two biggies in Pedersen and Hughes. So I thought the team might have elected to try to find a little cost certainty when they had the hammer in all of this. You know, if Gaudet returns and has a big year... um, you know, he goes right back, and obviously he's going to be looking for uh, a raise on uh, nine hundred and fifty grand. So we'll see. But at the same time, you know, I do wonder. I, I'm still not sure where the organization sees Adam Gaudet big picture. Like I like the player. I agree with you. You know, any guy that can generate half a point a game or better uh, in limited minutes. Yeah. I mean, the offense is there. A lot of his production on the power play and that second power play unit. We talked a lot about it during the season. You know, there are a lot of teams that would love to have one unit they can count on. And the Canucks had two, uh, really. And, and Godet was a huge part of that, as was Jake Vertanen. But, you know, you look at a player, he's 24 now. Like This just kind of feels like this is a big year for him uh, at 24 you know, 40% in the circle doesn't get it done. That's been an area of concern for him. People talk about, oh, maybe he could develop into a penalty killer. I think a lot of that would have to start in the face-off circle. Uh, he's got to get better there. Uh, certainly, if you're going to be, if that's going to be one of your specialties, you've got to be able to win some some draws on the PK. And beyond that, it's just, you know, utilization. Like, where is the trust with a player that was in and out of the lineup in the playoffs, uh, when he was in, he didn't play a lot. When Travis Green shortened the bench, usually it was Gaudet and Roussel and whoever was with them. Uh, they didn't see the ice late in tight hockey games. So, you know, yes, he's an NHLer, but I'm still a little unclear how Travis Green and how the organization at large views the progression of Adam Gaudet through all of this. Yeah, and I think they're clearly fans in that the way he was handled last year was so thought out in terms of how he made the team out of camp, how they placed Berchi on waivers and, you know, cut Goldobin and, and kept him with the team through the first two months as he worked his way into the lineup. Uh, I think he went down once and for like a day um, prior to, you know, earning uh, his waiver exempt status, which really guaranteed him 
um, you know, staying with the Canucks, and he became a big part of the club's sort of uh, run, especially in what January, uh, I guess, from Christmas through to a, a, about mid mid February when Markstrom got hurt. That run that really cemented the Canucks as you know a play play in team, if not a playoff team, and. Yeah. Sorry, it, um, it cemented them as a bubble team, is what you're saying. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the just like we all, yeah, just like we all thought they'd be, uh, right on the bubble. Um, and then you know, but but I think about floors and ceilings with Godet, and and I'm not sure what the ceiling is yet because there's so much growth to still happen in terms of his two way play, right? Like, could he verge into becoming a middle six caliber? two-way player I think so especially with how he's improved his game year over year but I think you also have to be careful about not overestimating or overfitting the fact that one thing Godet has and will always have is that work rate like he's got he's one of those guys with that motor right like he just works constantly all all over the ice and it's easy to look at a guy who plays like that and just expect like exponential improvement um, you know, I'd say exponential growth if it were any other year, but uh, exponential improvement in his game. And that's not necessarily the case. Like he could be ultimately like Sam Gagne, right? Like a fourth line power play specialist who works hard. Like he could be Sam Gagne with work rate and some physical edge. Like that could be who he is. And that's a super useful player, especially if you control the, you know, cap hit and term uh, of any deal that he's on. But he also could be more. And so, you know, th that's the type of bet I like to place typically, like I like to see teams place, is even at the floor, this bet pays off for us. Like even at the floor, Godet's probably going to be a one and a half million dollar player just based off of his work rate and power playability uh, and playmaking and that shot on his off his off wing. But if he can graft some additional two-way half to his game like man that's where you can get into like real surplus value like that's where you can get you know a, a guy providing you 5.5 million in value for 1.5 or 1.2 like that's the type of bet I would have liked to see the Canucks make over the medium term uh again why the timing of it confused me but it'll be fascinating to see his continued development um just because he's a fun player to watch and and clearly that work rate is there I, I always have time for anyone who plays the game like that uh, and Godet surely does. All right. And just, I think by now, people have probably seen and heard a fair bit of Jace Howerlock. Uh, he gets a two-way deal, 800 grand at the NHL level, 200 in the minors. And Howerlock fatigue? Well, are we, little, have, have we reached Howerlock fatigue? <laughs> yes, on some levels, and yet at the same time, I mean, this is maybe the kind of bet that the Canucks need to be making. You're more familiar with the player. Yes. You've seen him in Florida. So just paint our listeners, if people haven't heard you on the radio or, or, or heard other people talking about Jace Howerlock, you're familiar with him, certainly more than I am. Uh, big numbers in junior, like so many guys, but he's not about big numbers at the NHL level. Uh, I think he's been described as sort of a real pain in the ass to play against, and it sounded pretty motivated on the Zoom when we chatted with him yesterday. Yeah, the well, first of all, you know, I was tracking that one pretty closely. Uh, Rick and I had it like mid last week when we sort of recapped free agency. Um, I'd heard that it was heating back up this weekend, sort of ran it down. 
um, sent that tweet that I did. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to be ahead of this one for sure. For sure. I'm going to be ahead of this. And then Elliot Friedman tweets it out with, with both the one way <laughs> and the two way contract values. And, and I just texted him and I was like, Hey, Hey Fridge, like stop being so good at your job. Thanks, bud. Um, the, what Howard Luck brings, I do think is, you know, some potential, like there's, this is a good, bet I think for the Canucks especially on a two-way deal even if it's got a pretty high American League salary uh, because there is a chance that Howard Luck has some untapped top nine upside and by signing this deal they'll have RFA rights to him next year uh, again and you know like when he's had a chance when he's played with a coach who trusts and likes his game as he did with Bob Bugner um, in the 2017-18 season and for DJ Smith a little bit during that 2019-20 season, you know, he's played pretty well. Like, if you go look at that second half of the, and sorry, it was the 2018-19 season with the Panthers. Uh, if you go look at the second half of that season where he was a regular in the lineup, like, he scored, I think, seven goals over 40 games or something, right? Like, a 15, if you get 15 goals and, and 25 points from a guy playing that type of prescribed bottom six role... Like, that's a really useful contributor, especially if they also draw a ton of penalties and make other teams lose their minds, which he does. Uh, now, you know, he can have that same impact on his own organization, too. <laughs> but uh, but that's sort of the price of being a motormouth, right? And I, I do think there's some growth in terms of learning how to pick his spots in that area. But he definitely has the raw tools to play the game within a game really well. And for a Canucks team that feasts on special teams... Uh, that's a useful guy to have in the lineup. Like that, that, he might be a higher leverage pickup for the Canucks considering their power play and penalty killing uh, than he is for most teams around the league. So, you know, overall, um, uh, you know, one, I mentioned that this isn't really an enforcer town. One, one thing this definitely is, though, is a pest town. Yes. Like this town yeah. loves its pests. Uh, I think there's a chance that Jace Howerluck will ingratiate himself in a, in a pretty major way. And I, I do think there's some uh, ability there yet yet untapped, yet unrealized at the NHL level to maybe even be more than just a fourth-line contributor. But as a fourth-liner, um, you know, I, I definitely think he can help uh, depending on how things shake out with the rest of the lineup. All right, new pests uh, coming on board in the National Hockey League for the Vancouver Canucks. The Seattle Kraken. We're going to try and do our best to fan the flames of this rivalry. Uh, we don't know when hockey's going to start, but we do know at this time next year, the Kraken, the newest team in the National Hockey League, uh, will be on the ice, and they don't have a head coach, but they've got a beat writer now for Ooh. the Athletic. And Ryan Clark, people probably know that name if they have read his Best work in out the of business. Denver the last couple of years has covered the Colorado Avalanche. Ryan Clark today appointed to the beat of the Seattle Kraken, and so he's going to join us here. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the rivalry, what he expects from the newest franchise in the National Hockey League as they get up and running. Ryan's going to join us right after this ad from Indochino. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Seattle Kraken coming on board a year from now. So this rivalry, the I-5 rivalry, if they ever get the borders open, I suppose, uh, will be a thing. (laughs) Ryan Clark, for the past couple of seasons, has covered the Colorado Avalanche for the Athletic. He's also written extensively on the color of hockey, the work the game has done in terms of inclusivity, but also the work that still needs to be done in that regard. And in addition to that, he's been on top of the developments as NHL Seattle became the Kraken and now prepares to launch and writing about preparation for expansion and some of the key early hires. And now Ryan is leaving Denver to become the beat writer for the Kraken, for the Athletic, and he's joining us here on the VADcast. So we welcome you, but at the same time, all these niceties, if this thing's going to truly be a, a rivalry dancer, we can't, we've got to heckle him a little bit too, don't we? Boo. Oh, for sure. The, boo. Ryan Clark, the man <laughs> who made sure Kale McCarr won the Norris, coming to cover the Seattle Kraken, the new geographic rivalry of your Vancouver Canucks. Here, welcoming, we're welcoming onto the VanCast our new pantomime villain, Ryan Clark. Boo. Yes. Hey, Ryan, thanks for doing this. <laughs> Congrats, man. I don't know. Is it really a thank you and a congrats after that introduction? Like, (laughs) hey, everyone, meet the overlord who's going to cause you nothing but misery, Ryan Clark. It's like, (laughs) okay, yeah, sure, thanks. Um, But no, for real, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really glad to be on, and um, it's, it's definitely good to hear from, from both of you too, and knowing that. Yeah, we'll be seeing a lot more of one another. Yes, and that's going to be one of the best parts. Ryan, Canucks fans are going to be very privileged to read your work. You are outrageously talented. You've you've really come up, and and you wrote a very emotional, um, you know, sort of letter announcing the move away from Denver and back back to Seattle, which you consider to be your home. Can you walk our listeners through the path that's taken you here? Because while you've come up in a moment in which sports media is ruptured, like you've kind of been everywhere. Like you've been in North Dakota and Florida and Washington state twice now and, and Colorado, like it's almost an old timey newspaper man career path here. Um, but can you just walk people through what, what brought you to today and how excited you are? You know, sure. I mean, as far as just kind of, like you said, with moving around, I think that's just the nature of our industry. And I guess not to get too serious or depressing here, but I mean, you look at what the industry, what the world has been through, and everyone's always trying to look for opportunities, and it just means you move a lot. And so between my dad's career in the military, my school, and my career, this will be the 32nd move I've made, if you include wow. everything from dorm rooms to cross-country moves. So it's it's been an experience, but as far as just coming back to Seattle, I mean, the reality of it was... My wife and I, we loved living in Seattle. We love the Pacific Northwest. It's just, it's a great place. And Denver is fantastic in its own right. But it was one of those things where everybody kept asking, are you moving back to Seattle even the minute I got here? And it's like, guys, no, I just got here. And the thing is, like, we we love Denver. And covering the Avalanche has been the best experience of my career. Um, but just kind of like I was saying in, in the column I wrote this morning on The Athletic, uh, just, <clears throat> excuse me, like there was a morning, well, excuse me, a night. Well, I guess it was morning. It was late enough where I just woke up and like, I just, I broke down because it had been about a month since like my mom had passed. And that was something that just, I think for anyone who's ever lost a parent, you know how difficult that can be. And it's something that it does take time to get over. And so, I mean, I've only really cried like three times since I've been an adult. And, you know, those three times I thought about what I did to kind of fix it. The first time it was when I saw my wife in her wedding dress. And I mean, those are happy tears, but they get fixed right away. Cause 
you're getting married and spending the rest of your life together. Um, the second was when we left Seattle just because like we, we really, really, really loved it there. And, you know, the third was, you know, when my mom passed and I think that's kind of when it starts hitting you that you can't bring her back. And what you can do is you can kind of work through that. But then with Seattle, it's the conversation of, well, how do you fix that? And so, look, it was it was hard just because the people here in Denver and everyone in the ABS organization has been nothing but amazing to me. I, I, I can't stress that enough. But I think when you look at the opportunity to not only cover a new team, but a new team in a city you know, in a place where there's already been a lot of excitement, the fact that there's already a natural geographic rival set up right there, along with the opportunity to do more national stuff for the athletic too. It was just too hard to say no, and I'm just really fortunate they placed me in this position. Yep. Well, we're excited to have you in the Pacific Northwest in the Pacific Division. And in this Cascadia rivalry or the I-5 rivalry, like we need to name this, Ryan. I think that's going to be task number one, is once the Seattle Kraken get up and running, we're going to need to name the rivalry. Like it needs, you know... Not El Trafico quality, but but some type of really good Derby name uh, for for what's going to come down the pike. What have you workshopped to this point? Those things I just got put on the spot. Um, <laughs> Putting you on the spot, bud. The Evergreen Rivalry. Ooh, ooh. The Salmon Series. <laughs> I, I like that. Um, I, I'll leave it there because everything else could like sound really corny and we're not trying to do that i mean so yeah well I'll, I'll tell you what i'll think about it more for now but i mean like look whether you come up with like some really cool name or or something that's kind of not so cool like it's just going to be interesting because like i don't want to give too much away just because thomas and i've talked about this for an upcoming story that we want to do at some point but just like it's so interesting to look at it because like you look at seattle and vancouver in a way those cities have existed in pro sports space and like the thing that always cracked me up, and I mean, I think people who know me know Toronto's a second home for me, so <clears throat> I have a lot of love for Canada, but like it always cracked me up living in Seattle when people would be like, yeah, <clears throat> the only time it's bad to go to a Mariners game is when the Jays are in town because like all <laughs> these people from Toronto show up. And it's like, yeah, hi, um, our country is more than just one city. Like there's a bunch of them and there's a province above you called British Columbia, which is Latin for not Ontario. And there's a city called Vancouver, <laughs> which is Latin for not Toronto. All your TV shows are filmed there. And it's a gorgeous city. And they, too, also like baseball and David Suzuki. So, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting Interesting to see how it's all going to work. The Suzuki showdown. I'm going to I'm gonna offer that up as well. Um, J-Pat. Yeah, I'm sorry, I was just working through something with flannel in it, but uh, th there's time to come up with a name for this rivalry. I, I joked, Ryan, that you know the team has a beat writer before it's got a head coach. So, like, let's get down to a little bit of business here. And you have been covering this development of the Seattle Kraken from an arm's length. You've done a fair bit of writing, uh, just different progressions, the arena, some of the key hires, as I mentioned. It just—it's got to be Gerard Gallant, doesn't it? Like it seems too simple. The later this, the deeper this goes without a coach, the closer they get to playing. They've got a guy who put the blueprint in place and got a team to the Stanley Cup final in its first year of existence in Vegas. This—it feels too simple to me. It feels too simple, but <clears throat> excuse me. Right now, it seems like it would be honestly the odds-on favorite if you're a bookmaker because 
everybody's going to look at what he did with the Golden Knights and how could you not? It's the precedent that's been set. And now, of course, there's been discussion about our general manager smarter this time because they just went through this process. So will you see something like Florida giving away Riley Smith and Jonathan Marsha? So will you see low blow anything similar to to that? Well, no, it's not a low blow, Thomas. I mean, it's the on. It look, it's the number one thing that comes up every time you talk about of the course. expansion draft. But to be serious, like when you you look at what he did there, but also you have to look at like what he did in in Florida. I know it didn't end the way he wanted, but the thing about Gallant that sometimes often gets overlooked is yes, there's what he can do X's and O's wise, but there's also what he can do with young players, and you saw him play a really foundational role. And what guys like Alexander Barkov and you know. Jonathan Uberdo and uh, Aaron Ekblad, they were able to do while he was down there. And so with Gallant, you're going to have someone that, look, he knows how, clearly how to coach at the pro level, but also he's going to be able to play a role in kind of helping develop a culture there, which it's so interesting because it's a term we hear used so much in the NFL and in college football, and you hear it some in other sports. But if you're an expansion franchise, culture is going to be everything because, like, that's the weird part about Seattle. Like, Yes, it's a new team, it's a new organization, but when you look at the all the parts that have gotten to this point, they've come from different organizations like Carolina, like Minnesota, and in some cases like they've even come from beyond the NHL like the Philadelphia Eagles. And so the thing is this, like you're having a bunch of people bring what they've seen other places to try to make it their own. And having a head coach who can understand culture and translate that to players, it's going to be massive. I wonder, too, have you given it much thought? Like, you know, the Seattle Thunderbirds have existed in the Western Hockey League and produced a bunch of great NHLers. Patrick Marlowe still going strong uh, comes to mind. But and you know from being in Seattle, like this is a new market for the National Hockey League. And you've come from Denver at a point in time where that team looks like it's ready to explode. Like, have you figured out sort of your approach to writing, but also perhaps having to educate some of the fan base a little bit as well. I mean, yeah, because I mean, look, I think the nature of hockey is one of those sports where compared to let's let's say if you compare the NHL to the NBA, Major League Baseball and the National Football League, the NHL is going to be that one league people probably have the least amount of exposure to, whether that's because of geography, access, interest, I mean, whatever the variable might be. And so because of that, like, you know, you're going to have to explain things. But at the same time, you could argue that's how it works on pretty much every beat everywhere. Now, look, don't get me wrong. I think we were all old enough in the 90s to where we remember great expansion teams coming to places like San Jose, like Tampa, like Florida. And we all heard the stories about like, this is what icing is and this is a two line pass and like things like that. Fans today know those sort of things, or at least the good majority of them do. What they want to know more now is like, okay, what is the big picture? Like, I see a win in front of me. Is this all it is? Is it just one victory? Is it a sign of something greater? Or is it a sign of something worrisome because all their wins keep coming against teams that aren't particularly good while they keep losing against teams that aren't great? And, um, well, that are great, excuse me. Whereas if, like, you look at being here in Denver, like, it was such an interesting time to come in because it's one of those, you can see what they were trying to do. It was just a matter of, how it materializes, but not only that, but how does it materialize in a conference where it wasn't that long ago? We all looked at Nashville and Winnipeg and thought, these two are going to run dominion over the Central Division, if not the Western Conference, for several years, only to see that change. And so it's no different than Seattle. I mean, yes, it's different because 
everything that happens is going to be the first in franchise history, first player, first draft pick, um, first this, first that. So there is that component to keep in mind, but it's still the basis of it is the same, which is why is this important? Why does this matter? And if you're a fan, why should I care about something? And also what's the underlying meaning in all of this? Ryan, I'm going to put you on the spot once again, and I'm going to give you my Canucks protected list, okay? And I'm going to have you steal a player from the Canucks roster from the perspective of the team you now cover. All right, ready? Go for it. All right, so I'm protecting in a 7-3-1 structure because anything else is ridiculous. And I'm going to protect Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, JT Miller, Tanner Pearson, Adam Gaudet, Elias Pettersson, and Jake Vertanen up front. I'm going to p- protect Nate Schmidt, Oli Yolevi, and Brogan Rafferty on the back end. And I'm going to protect Thatcher, Demko, and Nett. And I just want to make you aware of the fact that Quinn Hughes is exempt from expansion, although I know... Seeing as, uh, you know, you, you don't think he's any good anyway. Um, he wouldn't have been your pick nonetheless. But um, that, that's my that's my protected list. Have at her. Which Canuck are you selecting to join the expansion Seattle Kraken? I think I would have selected Harmon Dial to host this podcast because he'd have <laughs> a lot more respectful. <laughs> Jesus. <clears throat> I mean, like, I... Good pick, Savage. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm so not doing this with you about Quinn Hughes. He is so good, so let's stop. Um, honestly, the the answer would probably be Braden Holtby at this point, just because we've all seen this past offseason, which it feels so weird to say that, considering it was just a week or two ago, how important goaltending is, but more importantly, how important it is in this climate where there's a flat cap. And if you are the Seattle Kraken, you're going to be looking for goaltending. And so Braden Hopi makes a lot of sense because, I mean, one, they're going to protect Thatcher Demko. I mean, it's clear that's where that's heading. And so if you can get a goaltender like Braden Holtby, who, look, he's got experience, he's won a Stanley Cup, he checks a lot of boxes, why wouldn't you want him? And that's really the interesting part is so much could change between now and whenever the expansion draft happens. But if you're the Kraken and you're looking at Vancouver, and there's a lot of interesting options there, Braden Holpe seems like the one. Just kind of like if you're looking out east at the Montreal Canadiens, you're kind of wondering about Jake Allen too and wondering would a Holpe-Allen tandem work just because, again, tandems are where the league is heading. We've seen that. I mean, Vancouver's an example. Colorado's an example. Dallas was an example. Everyone that isn't Winnipeg and Tampa is an example of that. And so if you're the Kraken, you want to follow that same path. So let's go with Braden Holtby. I've got, I've got one more. I've got one more for you, and, and we've only got a few minutes here. So I'll, I'll ask you to be a little bit quick, even though it's a big question. But I, I just wanted to ask one more. And, you know, we all know in the Pacific Northwest, uh, lattes, sushi, blundstones, like it, it's a it's a different culture out here and in everything they're doing it seems the kraken are reflecting some of that cultural sort of uh, mode in in the construction of their organization whether it's you know a sustainable environmental arena with a, a naming rights deal that reflects that uh, whether it's the makeup of their broadcast team or even their front office with you know a, a ton more women um, employed in key roles than you see in a typical NHL front office. 
what do you think is driving that approach overall? Um, and, and what do you think does does that pose a challenge or a responsibility in coming in to cover a team that seems to be trying to do things in a, in a different way? Sure. I mean, in terms of the driving force behind it, it's that organization looking around and saying, how can you say that we want to reflect a city when we don't even look like the city? And not only is it that, but it's also just the idea that they have made it clear that they understand that it's not hard to get diversity. It might mean making an extra phone call or taking an extra step at the end of the day. They know you're going to get someone who they feel not only is diverse and is a minority or inclusivity by getting a woman, but you're getting someone who they're going to be able to look at things differently because of those experiences and you're going to be able to relate. As far as just covering something like that, look, it's definitely going to be different because every organization is different in the sense of how they present these things. And we saw that during the We Skate For campaign, which for a lot of people, it was a divisive subject. There are some people who felt like, hey, We Skate For checked all the boxes. Other people felt like it fell short of the mark. Whereas if you're an organization like Seattle, and I think maybe this is the most under-discussed facet of it all, them coming into the league at this point is really interesting because we've talked so much about how the NHL and its players and and everyone involved says, look, it's time to have these conversations. It's time for a change. Okay, but what does that change look like? Yes, there are players like Jade Wisdom and Quentin Byfield who are coming into the league, but it's going to take at least 17 to 18 years for more of those players to develop. Whereas if nothing is stopping you from hiring people to be head of accounting, head of legal, marketing, ticket sales, like that is how you get diversity. And through those actions, you can then figure out how to get more diversity in your stands. And right now, that's the challenge every NHL club is facing. Whereas if you look at the Kraken and what they're doing right now, it's not a challenge because it was already part of their hiring process. Hey, Ryan, congrats on the gig. It is so good to have you as sort of the uh, voice of the Seattle Kraken, if you will, for the fan base and for those of us that cover the National Hockey League. A great first appearance on the VanCast. It won't be your last. I'm telling you that now. We'll try to keep Grants in line, though, uh, <laughs> the next time we get you back on. But in a word or less, outside of the coach, like what is the next first order of business, do you think, for the Kraken? Knowing when the expansion draft will be. Not yeah. being funny, yeah. but... No, fair that, enough. I mean, that's the, rea- that's the reality of next season. Mm-hmm. Well, again, uh, great to get you on. Uh, really happy for you. Uh, back to a place that you wanted to be. And we look forward to your coverage of the Kraken as they continue to build and grow to that uh, opening night. So uh, you won't be a stranger. Uh, you know that now. We'll get you back on uh, and looking forward to the rivalry. But uh, again, congrats and thanks for doing this. Hey, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, really cool to have Ryan on the beat, Tom. And uh, again, he's done such great work, not just covering the Colorado Avalanche, but as I mentioned right off the top, all the work that he's done about inclusivity in hockey, and he'll continue to bring that. I think the structure of his job is he's the beat writer for the Kraken, but he's going to do some national stuff as well. Yeah, and and that's (laughs) lucky for the athletic and lucky for all hockey readers. uh, 
<laughs> Ryan's as good as it gets and, and an even better person somehow. Um, so no, I, I, it's going to be awesome to have him in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, I'm sure in a normal world where we can travel there, um, cover some rowdy games, I'm sure Canucks fans will travel down the I-5. Um, you know, some good meals, some beers, uh, some good hockey chatter in the years to come. I'm extremely excited to have Ryan um, as a geographical rival uh, on the athletic beat. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I, I'm you know just really excited to see what that rivalry can become. So often rivalries are born in the playoffs, so it may take a little while. But I do think just based on geography, there's going to be that natural rival right away. And uh, we'll see. Look, I mean, I, I think Vegas obviously has changed the game in terms of what's possible now for expansion like I think any player that is selected in the expansion draft the Vegas Golden Knights have probably raised the bar too high but I do think that they've just changed the game in terms of what's possible like I I do think that that Kraken team the first Kraken team is going to have that like why not us as well kind of attitude and especially if they've got Gerard Gallant behind the bench yeah, no question. They're they're going to be well positioned to be good right away. And all you have to do is go through the exercise of filling out their roster and you can see like there's going to be an ability to be good quickly. And and one thing that might help them too is this flat cap era and teams need to get out of um cap trouble. Like there's going to be some tremendous opportunities for them to upgrade opportunities that weren't even available to the Golden Knights, although they've obviously used their cap space pretty well um, to, to get good fast and and to get good durably, um, which, you know, is going to pose some challenges uh, for their Pacific Division rivals, including the Canucks. Uh, it'll be fascinating to watch it play out. There are still names on the free agent board. We'll see if the Canucks are done, but there are things happening around the National Hockey League. Uh, Lots going on here at the Athletic as well. Stan Bowman, the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, joins Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers on a new episode of Laz and Powers this week at the Athletic. Certainly some questions about what is going on in the Windy City and the direction there. And Jonathan Taves had some strong uh, remarks about uh, the direction that his hockey team is headed. So uh, may want to check that out if you're looking for other podcast options as well and we tell you this each and every time that uh, we sign off check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the athletic app rate and subscribe the vancast on apple we love feedback and look there are lots of creative people out there we are kicking it around help us out like we'd love to hear your thoughts on what we can call this rivalry between the canucks and the kraken so get creative hit us up with some feedback either at uh, the athletic app or you can reach us on twitter and if you're not a subscriber to the athletic subscribe now and save go to theathletic.com slash fancast you can receive an all-access subscription for just a buck 25 canadian a month so that's going to do it for this episode we'll have another one later on this week again our thanks to ryan clark the new beat writer here at the athletic covering the seattle kraken And uh, Tom, any expectations whatsoever on the Canucks and any more free agent activity before we record (laughs) another one of these things? Uh, We'll see. I I wonder if they need to get through the Jake settlement first to have a better idea of where their numbers are at. But, uh, you know, I I wouldn't be stunned by uh, them still bringing in Josh Levo, um, you know, despite the Howerluck edition. And I wouldn't be stunned either if they bring in a depth defender or maybe if they can carve out some space, avail themselves of that second buyout window, maybe look to make a bigger play. Certainly that defense could use it. All right. Another VanCast coming your way later on this week. But for now, that's going to do it for this episode. For Durant's Rich, J-Pat, as always, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for your support. This is the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. Athletic.com.